You're listening to the weekly podcast with Pastor Steve McCoy from 360 Church in Sarasota, Florida. We hope this message inspires you to press beyond ordinary. It's interesting to me, by the way, that, you know, we uh, wear bracelets that say WWJD, what would Jesus do? I think that's an appropriate question to ask. Sometimes we don't have to ask that question, by the way. We need a, we need a, a bracelet that says, what did Jesus do? Where did Jesus go? Not where is Jesus going, but there's so much that we already know. And that, that knowledge of where we know that Jesus went, what he did, should not, it should alleviate any questions. What would Jesus do on, on a good number of things, right? So we don't have to ask, you know, what, what he is and what, you know, where has he been, all those things. So today we're going to look at a place that I propose that it's possible that Jesus went to this location more than any other location. Now, some of you Bible readers, Bible studiers, you may say, okay, let's see, that must be Galilee, because he, he circled back in Galilee a lot. That must be Jerusalem, because I know he went to Jerusalem a lot. It may be a surprising location for you, where Jesus went, we're told in the scripture, most frequently. Now, we're on this campaign, it's called the Who Campaign, and basically what it is, is living out our identity for ambassadors of Christ to share with the people that we love, the people that we know, the people that God puts in our path, the good news of Jesus Christ. 10, 15 years ago, we could hold a big church event out in the parking lot and maybe people would come to that. Those days are over in our culture. The winds of our culture are changing. Now we are personal ambassadors. We are personal missionaries. This is where we will make the most impact with the people that are in our world, that are indigenous to our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our gyms, wherever we, we go. And sometimes in the path uh, of, of, of where we're walking and playing and, and, and working, all those things, I'm, I'm engaging you and inviting you and challenging you to see yourself different. It is not the church's job to present the gospel. We are the church, and each of us is an individual personal missionary to wherever we work and play and live. And God puts this message in us, and when he says we're ambassadors of Christ, you're an ambassador of Christ, I am, you are, you are, you are. We are all personal ambassadors of Christ. You'll see on the screen here the kind of how we're laying this out that there's four areas. So some of you may, you know, when we talk about sharing our faith, some of you may like freak out automatically and say, I can't do that. I don't know the Bible enough. What happens if they ask hard questions? All that. We're going to spend an entire year making you feel adequate, confident, and, and, and effective in, in doing this. And it's coming from a guy that this is not my natural tendency. And that's a good news because I've, I've told you, my wife, this super, she's really almost a supernatural. All right, she's not supernatural. <laughs> but it's, she's very natural at sharing her faith. And so if she were up here saying, hey, you guys got to do it, it'd probably make you feel in, more inadequate, right? But here's a guy that's not, that isn't, this is not, uh, it doesn't come easy for me. And so I've been, uh, before I say things to you, I like to try it out on myself. Today, as you go out, we're offering to you a, uh, a wristband. I've been instructed not to call it a bracelet because guys are like, I ain't wearing a bracelet, y'all. So uh, a, a wristband, and it's really the intention of the wristband is just a simple reminder. 
Who are you? Could you be aware of in your life? Who is who? Who is God bringing to mind, or who did God bring across your path this coming Monday? Who's He going to bring across your path? It's a reminder to look to tune into the bandwidth of other people. It's a reminder of who should I care about? Who should I prepare to begin to share the gospel? And who am I going to share with? So it, it, what we're not talking about here is that I got to go up to somebody this Monday and I haven't really built the bridge of safeness in the relationship and I got to hit them with the gospel. You know, I've got to tell them that, you know, they're, they're, they're not going to heaven. I got to, and that is not our culture these days. Our culture is that we need to build a bridge of trust Trust that has been eroding over years from people that don't know Christ and the church, quite frankly. And so we need to build that trust where people can see. So this is a reminder. So let me tell you a little short testimony. This past week, I had an early morning walk. I do early morning walk meetings at times. It was before the sun came up. It was at a park near my house. And I put my bracelet on. I said, God, I've seen some this guy in the park. His name is Dean. I know Dean because I've talked to him. And, uh, and I said, I, just want, I, I hope I haven't seen him for a little while. And uh, I hope that I can see him. And so um, I'm just asking you, God, is there a way that I can reconnect with Dean? So I'm walking with my friend. We're having this meeting. It's, you know, oh, dark hunter. It's still dark out. We're walking, talking, walking, talking. And all of a sudden, out of the dark, I hear Steve. I'm like, oh, I turn around. Guess who it is? It's Dean. So today we're going to be talking about the most frequent place that Jesus may have gone and how it's connected to my experience, that experience, that experience you can have this week. Where do you think the most frequent place Jesus went? So we're not going to say, where, did, where should Jesus go? Or where would Jesus go? This is where Jesus did go. All right? We're going we're gonna to skip around. A lot of times I like to center into a, a scripture passage. But today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip around a little bit. Luke chapter 5 and verse 16. Luke chapter 5 and verse 16. But Jesus often... Not sometimes, many times, but often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. You see, when I said, hey, where do you think Jesus frequented? You might have been thinking of a city or a particular town or village, Galilee and all that stuff. The most frequent place that Jesus, at least what the scripture is saying, is he went to a place where nobody else was. It's what I'm going to call the secret place today, based on a psalm that we're about to see, a secret place, because as we start this campaign, this initiative, I, want, I think it's necessary for me to remind all of us, myself included, that until we find ourselves in the place of prayer, in a lonely secret place, away from everyone, our sharing of our faith will have no worth at all. It will be based on our articulation, our communication skills. We're going to say, hey, I'm, I got to really amp up. I got to prepare. That's kind of one of our sections. I got to make sure I know all the hard you know, answers to the hard questions and all that. And all of that will be in vain because when a person comes to Christ, when you came to Christ, if you're a Christ follower, when I came to Christ, it was not just because someone brilliantly articulated it's because God opened our eyes and it was revelation, not information. Was the information important? The information was important. But ultimately, I spent 22 years of my life in church every Sunday getting enough information for me to know Christ. And yet none of that information happened 
until there was a willingness on my part to say, God, I want a revelation. I want you to reveal to me who you are. I want to reveal. And in that revelation, it wasn't like I understood all things about God. That took a couple weeks. Now I know all that. Just kidding. The revelation was I'm lost and I need to be saved. The revelation was I'm blind. I can't see. My worldview is cloudy and I don't know God. The revelation was I'm a broken sinner and I need a savior. Listen, it ain't complicated. It ain't complicated. What if someone asks you a question that you don't know? These three words go a long way. I don't know. I don't know. But I do know this. I needed a savior and God delivered one. That's that simple. When Jesus went away to a lonely place frequently, he, he prayed with his disciples, but we see him. And so I'm, I'm going to be real careful about what I'm saying here. We see him in the lonely place more than we see him praying with others. Now, maybe he did, and it's not written in the Bible. But what we don't read is Jesus. There's Jesus praying again with other people. In other words, prayer meetings are great. I support them. I'm all behind them, praying with each other. Super important. The Bible encourages it, all that. But we can't substitute that for our alone time with God. We can't replace that with the secret place. Watch. Psalm 91 verse 1 says this, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Where God is, where Jesus is, He is in the shadow of God. You have to be pretty darn close to somebody to be in their shadow. Have you noticed? In order to get in somebody's shadow and say, we want to be where God is. That's kind of the angle of this collection. We want to be where God is, and God is in the secret place when we go and find him. Today, I'm going to do something a little different. And what I mean by that is that I've said this over a number of years, and I'll probably say it you know, a number of more times over the years. But I believe that especially as American Christians, we need to be recalibrated frequently. Because we're swimming in the deep end of comfort, a convenience, and all those things. And that's, there's not, this is not a guilt trip like, you, you know, you should sleep on the floor instead of a mattress or something, you know, crazy like that. It's not that. But we do have to realize that it often is an undercurrent against sacrifice and passion and all those things that, that I see in so many other places that it, the, the comfort sometimes doesn't catapult our faith it almost it softens it does that make sense so there's three areas for me as an american just as a christian not as a pastor not as a leader but as a christian as a christ follower three areas for the longest time that i have used to say let me recalibrate don't let me get caught up in that it's just like what billy prayed don't don't let me be magnetized to the distractions of this world number one is the word of god okay the word of god it, it recalibrates us when we read okay we know that but here are the two other places for me. Number one, I'm, ru- I'm going to r- rub shoulders with at least one person in a, in a different culture than mine. It becomes a different plumb line. Now, I have the advantage of rubbing shoulders with a lot of people around the world. So I want to make this doable, but somehow, some way. And if you need a name, I'll give you one really easily to say, I, want, I need to, to know somebody 
in a culture where it's difficult to be a Christian, where, where you see the sacrifice. Because when you look around the world, and when I'm rubbing shoulders with a guy named Milan who has traveled in a Jeep for three days and for the sake of other people to bring the gospel to them and disciple-making tools, willing to walk 12 hours, two, two miles above sea level, it recalibrates me. You know, because I was really ticked off yesterday because my internet didn't work, and I'm like, mm, probably first world problem. I need others outside of my forest to help me recalibrate because I can't get out of my forest. I'm living in my forest. You're living in your forest. We can't go and live some more. We're living here, so you need someone outside of here to recalibrate. Make sense? Here's the third thing. First, uh, global, uh, first uh, Bible. Second, someone outside of our culture. Here's the third thing. I read a lot of, about people who, Christian Christ followers, who lived in the 1800s. I know that sounds crazy simple. But you begin to read about the Hudson Taylors, the Adonair Judsons. The, you, you begin to read about them, and I'm going to tell you, it, re, it helps recalibrate, listen carefully, your identity. Your identity, who you are, who God made you to be, who he called them to be. So today, I just want to, I'm, I'm going to talk about one such person. His name is George Mueller. Some of you know his name, have heard his name. When you hear the name George Mueller, what one word comes to your mind? Prayer and orphanage, right? For many people, it's it's the orphanage, right? Because they they um, because he had an amazing work uh, with the orphans in, in in England, right? So an amazing work. But someone else mentioned prayer. I wish he was known more for prayer than he was for the orphanage, because the orphanage was just one of many things. So I want to examine today to help us recalibrate, because we all need it to recalibrate by, by just giving you a snippet of the life of George Mueller. When you look at Mueller's life, it's really fascinating that he ran the orphanage that took care of about 10,000 orphans over a period of about 40 years. That took him to about age 70. This is where most people drop off the biography of George Mueller, if you've ever read him, uh, read about him. At age 70, most of us would say, that was a good run. That was a good run. I'm, boy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a breath. I'm going to retire. I'm going to pour it out for other people. Not George Mueller. George Mueller, at the age of 70, decided that he was going to go around the world and encourage other believers to learn the power of the secret place to learn the power of prayer, to learn the power, to, to learn the reality that whatever we want to do with God has got to start in prayer. If we're going to be effective, if he, he, he saw 10,000 orphans fed by the miracle of God, and it wasn't because he was an amazing articulator. It wasn't because he was an amazing communicator. He communicated to God and miracle after miracle. At the age of 70, he went on a missionary tour to 42 countries, China, Europe, and North America, all over the world until he was 87 years old. 
Now, if that's not impressive, get out. Just kidding. <laughs> he died a poor man in the city of Bristol. Let me put on the screen some things. Mueller started 117 schools. He educated 120,000 children. He cared for over 10,000 orphans. And he raised, fundraised, in today's terms, the equivalent of $1.4 billion without ever being in debt. And it was all accomplished in prayer. Isn't that stunning? Yeah. In fact, here's another zinger. Mueller never asked anybody for a dollar of that $1.4 billion. I'm just letting that sink in. Because in these days and age, we go and say, hey, can you be part of this project? But he prayed to the point. Now watch this. In context of sharing our faith, the next thing on the screen will show you this. Mueller also believed that more than 30,000 souls came to know Christ in answer to prayer. Mueller had a friend. This friend had five kids. This friend was really troubled that none of these kids had that knew Christ. And maybe you've heard this story. Mueller started praying for them. And this is what he said. You'll see this on the screen as well. He said, I prayed every day without a single intermission. For these five people that he didn't really even know well, I prayed every day without a single intermission. And he didn't even have a reminder wristband. (laughs) After 18 months of praying every day, Without a single intermission, the first, the first one came to Christ. 18 months. I mean, dude, I'm giving up after 18 days. How about you? Well, I guess Bob's not going to get it, so I'll pray for somebody else. 18 months, the first one was saved. After five years of praying every day without intermission, the second one came. After six years of praying every day without intermission, The third one came. And so at the end of his life, there there was two left that had not come to Christ yet. And he says this at the end of his life. He said, I've been praying every day without a single intermission for 52 years for two men, sons of a friend of my youth, and they are not converted yet, but they will be. How can it be otherwise? This was the power of his prayer. The power of his prayers. He came in saying, I'm praying with confidence that God can do something, right? The, the, the fourth guy came to Christ before he died. But when but Mueller died, the fifth guy had not come to Christ. Only to about a few months after his funeral, all five came to Christ. Isn't that amazing? Check this one out if you're not impressed yet. Wait, there's more. (laughs) When they found George Mueller's journal, he had recorded 50,000 
answers to prayer. 50,000 answers to prayer. So I broke out my little calculator last night. And I said, what if there was one answered prayer every day, 365 days? That would be the equivalent of about 137 years. That's 50,000. 365 times 137 years. Think about that. The reason that he said that is it wasn't, he didn't ask God, what would you do? He said, what have you said? And he prayed with confidence. So I, you know me, I don't like to end with, let's walk out with a big concept. Let's get practical. How do you pray in regards to reaching the lost? Okay. Now listen, I'm going to, I'm going to skate on some shaky ice here, some thin ice, right? I understand that in the Christian community and probably sitting in this room and sitting at home, there are two camps. Some believe that Christ has already predetermined, predestined those who are going to come to Christ. Okay, And I understand that there are some that would say, okay, uh, there's a free will that God won't overstep. So we, we know that if, you, if you've been in Christianity any amount of time, we know that. I'm going to tell you in three minutes, I'm going to clear all that up for you. Just kidding. I'm not. <laughs> My encouragement is going to be higher than that, not that those are unimportant, okay? But God says this in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. God desires everyone to be saved. I'm going to repeat that. We do not have to go to prayer and say, God, if it is your desire to save my uncle Bob then I'm going to pray that prayer. God said, no, I've already told you. It is my desire. Whether you think Bob is predestined in one direction or the other, or you think he's got free will, okay? We know above that, above our human complications and our ability, our efforts to try to figure it out, above that, we know paramount that God's desire is that everyone, not some people, not a certain age, not a certain color, creed, nation, whatever. Everyone be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Why do I say that? Because this is why um, Mueller said they're not converted yet, but they will be. He had this confidence because he didn't come to prayer with a question. He came with an assertion. God, you have said that you desire everyone to pray. Therefore, God... In the secret place, I'm going to pour it out for I'm going to pour it out for Dean because I know God that you desire that he come to Christ. I know God you want him to come to knowledge. I know God you want to reveal yourself. I know that God. I'm going to press into you on the secret place, and I'm not going to ask you some silly question like do you desire? In regards to Arminianism or Calvinism and all that, here's my message. Let's not spend so much time in the locker room trying to figure it out that the field is empty. It's time for us. You can have those positions. That's awesome. I kind of get burned out a little bit after being in a game this long of just, hey, let's just go over and over and over and over. I'm not saying it's unimportant. Please don't misquote me. I'm not saying it's unimportant, but I'll tell you what's more important are the souls that are going to land somewhere in eternity that God has asked us to care about. That's where I think it's important. 
So the message is, let's not get too caught up in a coat hanger, a bundle of coat hangers. Is theology important? Doctrine important? Please hear me. Yes, yes, yes. Save your emails. Yes, it's important. But sometimes we're trying to figure out to the point that we paralyze ourselves at the great peril of the souls that God desires. This is the way Mueller said it. He said, I have not the least doubt because I am assured that it is, it is the Lord's will to save them, for he desires that all men should be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, 1 Timothy 2.4. And we have the, the assurance that if we ask anything according to his will or his desires, he hears us. He, he hears us. Three very simple things to pray for. Three simple things in terms of, in, in the secret place, in terms of other people that don't know your Christ yet. First of all, pray for, you, for God's work in you. Pray for your own heart. Here's what I mean. Confession. I, at times, more times than I want to confess, allow the distractions and the busyness of my schedule to override the desire I have for other people to come to Christ. Okay? I'm saying that because I know many of you have that. And that, that challenge. Sometimes I'll get to the end of the week and I'm like, I have not prayed for one person that doesn't know Christ. Just being really honest with you. I've gotten a lot done. I've accomplished a lot. God invites people back like me to the secret place. Don't lose your identity. Pray for your own heart. What do I mean by that? Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, Paul said, my heart's desire, all right? Don't forget that we're told in 1 Timothy 2, 4, that God desires everyone, to, all men to come to Christ, all, women, all men, men and women. So Paul says, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved, talking about those. In other words, our first step in the secret place is, God, I'm going to be super honest with you. I haven't cared for people that don't know Christ. So I'm asking you, God, to recalibrate my desires. I'm asking you, God, to do a work in me because I'm confessing to you that I haven't been as burdened for others without Christ as I should be. Are you tracking? And I can feel the room that like, me too. Me too. I can feel a me too in the room. Like, oh man, I need that too. Because of the very thing that Billy prayed for is we began like, hey, God, we're, we get distracted from here to here. Okay, we live in the forest of distraction, right? And so we need to say, okay, God, let me get back to the secret place and let me pour it out since your desire is that all men be saved, all human beings be saved. Since that's your desire, God, I'm going to ask you for that desire to be my desire. You know, in the Old Testament, uh, we, we read that, you know, God will give you the desires of your heart, Okay. Let's be careful. That doesn't mean I desire a new car. I desire a new house. No, that prayer says he will give you the desires, new desires, different desires of your heart. So we're asking God for new desires, right? Philippians chapter two, verse 13, for God is working in you, 
giving you the desire. So you don't have to go to the desiro gym and like, man, I got to work out and get better desires. No, we're asking God for a supernatural work in me. Will you give me the desire and the power to do what pleases him? Well, we already know what pleases him. He desires that all men and women come to Christ, right? We know that's his desire. God, I'm asking you for that for me. I'm asking for a miracle because right now you may say, I don't care. I haven't thought about a lost person forever or whatever that prayer you're having right now in your own mind. Or if there's something like, man, I've got, I'm asking God do something supernatural. Once again, God never asked us to do push-ups and say, God, you got to do more. You got more human effort here. No, it's supernatural. God inflames from the work inside out. God, please, I'm asking for different desires, number one. Number two, how do you pray for someone that doesn't know Christ? Well, if we look in Acts chapter 26, verse 18, here's what we say. Here's, what, here's the prayer we see. We pray to open their eyes, God, to open their eyes. Why? So that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. I'm not praying for my friends who don't know Christ yet to come to church. The first prayer is, God, would you open their eyes? I didn't start coming to church until God, until God began to open my eyes. Dude, my life is not what it should be. That was God chiseling away the blindness of my eyes. I could think, I could, you know, each of us could go back to our own history and say, you know what? I remember the day where I got my act together. And God was like, Dude, you can get nothing together. I started revealing to you that your life wasn't together. Because I, before I start revealing that to you, Mr. Smarty Pants, before I start revealing that to you, you thought your life was check, 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 perfect. And I did, by the way. My life was like, man, my life is going fantastic until all of a sudden it was fantastic on earth, but not fantastic with heaven. That was a revelation. You see, it changes the way we pray. It changes the way we come into prayer. We're not going to ask God if it is your desire. We know it, right? We're not going to say, God, let me just say it right. Let me get it all the fine points right. No, we're praying, God, would you supernaturally open their eyes so that they can turn from darkness to light, so that they will receive uh, forgiveness. But the first step in the secret place is praying for open eyes. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse four. The God of this age, speaking of our enemy, the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so that they will have the capacity. Same for me. I didn't have the capacity to see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, no matter how well it's articulated. It's not about articulation. Should we get it right? Sure. Absolutely. They cannot see the light of the gospel for the glory of Christ, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we don't preach ourselves, but we preach Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God said, let light shine out of darkness 
This same God made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. In other words, this is what God did in us. There's not a Christ follower on this, in this room or on this planet that can claim of their own volition, their own you know, doing, that they had this massive revelation. It came from God. God shone light in our heart. And for me, it was unexpected. Like, I didn't really care about God. I didn't care about the church. I didn't care about the Bible. And all of a sudden, I'm like, man, I, I'm starting to care about this thing. I worked in a university post office. And, and the, in the university post office, God was beginning to reveal himself. And I started writing um, uh, just a list of words because I didn't know what was going on. There was no one there to, well, disciple me through it. I was on my own trying to figure out what in the world is going on. I remember writing the word earnest. I'm like, I'm earnest. I'm feeling earnest. I've never felt earnest in my life. I'm feeling like I'm starting to care for people. I've never cared for anybody. I have a spiritual Hunger. I've never had a spiritual hunger. I hated church. Back in the day, we sang hymns. And my brother, who was Mr. Churchgoer, you know, he, I, I would like be singing, and he would take his hand and put it under my Bible and push my hymnal up. It really warmed me up to God. We pray, God, open their eyes. Here's the last thing. We need to pray for the army. That's us. We need to pray for each other. Watch. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So pray earnestly. Pray with passion to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. And into the harvest. I was reading that this week and I thought to myself, when's the last time I prayed? I want to pray that Dave have boldness today. I'm going to, I'm going to pray for, for, for Joe that he has opportunity today. Pray earnestly. The harvest, Jesus, it's out there, man. But pray for laborers because we're, we're few. Pray for one another. Ask one. Ask God earnestly, not just, you know, slightly, but earnestly. God, I'm praying today for Steve that he'll get out there. So I'm encouraging us to pray. It's a lot of, a lot of things to pray for, right? So let me make a suggestion. There is a, an app called Echo. You know, you, everybody's almost got a cell phone. Echo is a great is a great prayer app. I mean, I, I don't own stock in it, so I'm not getting anything out of this commercial. But I do believe the more organized we get, the more we come into prayer, the more we record our prayer like like Mueller did, the more we'll say, man, God answered that one. God answered that one. It's a super simple app. It's called Echo. And so you, you, you just go and you put your stuff in and you come back to it. And it's, it's, it's super cool. I won't go through it. But I'm saying that to us, hey, we, we got a lot to pray about. Let's pray for our friends where we work and live and play, our families. Let's pray for each other. Let's pray for God's work in me. And if we begin to record this, we might be able to see, wow, God did an amazing work. The harvest is few. When Mueller, George Mueller died, he died in the city of Bristol. On the day he died, they shut every factory and business down. 
And when his coffin was moving through the streets in the city of Bristol, there were thousands, thousands that were lined up by a man that was on his knees in the secret place. Here's the thing that I think is so cool. Most of you are not going to be Bible scholars. You're not going to be. I don't consider myself a Bible scholar, to be honest with you. I rely on Bible scholars, but I don't, that's not what I spend my whole day. Most of you are not going to be amazing, you know, Billy Graham-style evangelists in crusades and stadiums. Where, who's going to do that in this room? Come on. But you know the thing that really encourages me? Every single person can pray. That means we all get to be in the game. That means we all get to to be part of the identity that God's called us to. Thank you for joining us and special thanks for those of you who give generously to make this ministry possible. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can also subscribe or share it with your friends. For more information about 360 Church, visit us at the360church.com.